the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the program. This is The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you know, this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything really that's on your heart. You need only to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com, or you can send them in on our free Calvary San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else will be hands-free and you will be connected to our studio producer. Well, we end the week today. It's been sort of a good day, happy and kind of sad a little bit too. I'll explain in a moment. Uh, Tonight we're going to be Uh, I'm going to be teaching Revelation chapter 14, uh, at least the first 12 verses of it tonight. And uh, on Sunday, of course, I've got a special message for our church here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. You know, as Christians, we, we, we have the highs and lows. We have the mountaintop experiences and the difficult things. We've had a group in from a Calvary Chapel in Norman, Oklahoma uh, this week, uh, kind of hanging around with our school staff. Uh, because God's put it on their heart to do a free school as well. And that just thrills my heart. And you should have seen, there was, I think, six men here. And they were uh, just on fire. And they were so excited about uh, the answers they were getting. And, and it just really seemed like the Lord uh, had put this in their heart. And I was talking to the pastor. And he said, we're, we're doing this. Unless God just says, absolutely no, we're going to do this. And they're going to open next fall. So... You all could be praying for Calvary Chapel in Norman, Oklahoma. And uh, it was just wonderful to see uh, the joy. I I mean, um, you know, when God asks you to take a step of faith like this, it's huge. And they're excited about it. And uh, I'm sure they would love knowing that you're praying. Uh, We pray that this is a a trend that that spreads all over the country. I I think it's one of the responsibilities we have as a church to our families. Uh, I've never been anti-public schools. I I pray for our public school teachers and love what they do, those who are Christians in particular. But the truth is public schools nowadays are doing anything and everything they can to brainwash children. Um, It's been a slow process, but boy, there's no more even apologies. They're not even careful about it anymore. And uh, and I think this is a wonderful, wonderful work that churches could be doing and could be providing uh, for their children, for families, and I believe the Lord will pay for it. So uh, we've been doing it for 22 years here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, and it's starting to to, to get some 
attention, I think, and that's really a good thing. So that was the happy part of the day. Now, there's all kinds of happy parts of the day, but it was really neat to see. The sad part of the day, a dear friend of mine, um, Gail Irwin, who uh, we've talked about on this program. I've actually had him on this program a couple of times. Um, Gail, who uh, is a dear, dear friend, he and his wife, Ada, they have been married for 64 years. And uh, uh, Gail lost Ada yesterday. Now I'm sad. I feel like Paul. I'm going to cry. Um, oh, we loved her so much, and they were so perfect together. Um, and he's sad. I, I was able to talk with him, and um, you know, he picked up my phone call on the first ring. I, I wasn't expecting that he'd be able to do it, uh, but it was good to talk to him. But he's just really, really sad. And uh, he he just said to me, he said, 64 years. And it was like, what am I going to do? 64 years. And uh, he'll be okay. He loves Jesus with all of his heart. But uh, I'm sure he too would appreciate knowing that people in San Antonio, Texas are praying for him. And we're going to try to get him out here as soon as we can, just so we can sort of be around him. But a dear, dear friend. And today, today my friend is hurting. So um, I would appreciate prayer for Gail Irwin uh, from... Palm Springs, California. Actually, he lives in Cathedral City, not too far from where my son lives. Well, let's get to some questions while we await your phone calls. Uh, the first one is anonymous from our email inbox. And he or she says, can professing Christians physically die if they keep living in deliberate sin? I believe my family member died because of how she lived. She said and did all the right things in church, However, I knew she lived in deliberate sin. She died a couple of years ago. I'm not sure if she's in heaven or not. Thank you for clarifying. Uh, Anonymous, it's an interesting question. John says in his epistle that there is a sin that leads to death. And I don't think it's a specific sin, but I think it's a, a pattern of life. And uh, these are these are things that we really can't know. These are These are the kinds of things that are better left in the councils of heaven. God knows everything about us. We don't. And, um, you know, I, I just think it's really dangerous. I can say that I have known some people who died uh, pretty suddenly. Um, in my case, two men who I knew were believers. Uh, they died pretty suddenly. They didn't have any physical issues or, or any disease or anything. Uh, and and I knew that both of those people were were living in sin and um, and God had used them powerfully in the past, and um, and uh, it's easy for me to conclude that you know that was a, a sin or a series of sins that leads unto death. So here's what you do with relative to your family member: it's possible that um, she was a believer, and because she was doing things one way publicly or in church and another thing in pri- in private, uh, it's possible that God took uh, your family member home uh, or took her home. Um, and, and in some cases, he does it to protect us, to keep our hearts from getting uh, hard beyond the point of no return. So again, these are things that we can't know for sure. But if, if, if we, we listen to the Apostle John, there is a sin that leads unto death. Uh, I think it's perfectly reasonable uh, to uh, assume that there are real Christians who left this earth uh, earlier than was necessary uh, because God was protecting them from themselves and in some regard protecting their witness before it became um, irretrievable. So I hope that makes sense, Anonymous. But this is just something that we can't be that clear on. So please, 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 just uh, um, God is merciful. He wants your family member in in heaven. And uh, if she made a profession of faith and she was sincere, God takes that very, very seriously. But yes, the answer to your question is it is possible to do that. Here's two questions. They're marriage questions. I'm going to take them one at a time. Um, This one is anonymous from our email inbox. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron. How can I help my wife? She continues to make my life exhausting and tiresome due to her harboring unforgiveness for me and other people. I made a mistake not realizing that I did it. 
I took responsibility, but she continues to treat me unfairly. How can I help her have forgiveness for me and for others? Uh, Anonymous, you can't really help her other than you've accepted responsibility for the mistake that you made. If it was sin, whatever you call it, um, you hurt her feelings. You said you were sorry. You've asked her to forgive you. Now, forgiveness is actually a work of God. And this is really, really important for us to communicate. This is one of the reasons husbands and wives need to be together in the word. I know Paul and I talked about that on the program yesterday. But husbands and wives need to be together in the word because it's in the word. The spirit of God can supernaturally knit hearts together. And when I see an email like this one, the same thing is going to be true in the next one that I read. I can tell that this is a husband and wife who's simply not in the word together. You know, if Paula, and I'll put her in in the the position of your wife, if Paula was um, refusing to forgive and um, was treating me unfairly, um, believe me, when we read together in the Bible, um, we would talk about that. The word is living and active. It would meet us. We would talk about that. So here's what I would suggest that you do. First and foremost, you've accepted responsibility. So so tell your wife, look, I've said I'm sorry. Um, You refuse to forgive me. You continue to treat me the way you're treating me. And that's not okay. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to sit together with me so we can read the Bible together. It's very dangerous for a Christian to hold on to unforgiveness. Hearts get bitter and angry. And Anonymous, in this particular case, when we read the New Testament, um, forgiveness is assumed. Christians are assumed to be willing to forgive other people. So you said for you and other people, um, a wife holding on to unforgiveness is, is an impossible situation because the enemy is going to pound her and pound her and pound her until she repents and walks in the spirit. She's not going to be able to deal with it. So what you need to do is make sure she knows that you're sorry. Make sure that she knows that you love her. But also, you got to let her know. I can hear a bunch of husbands holding their breath here. you got to let her know this is unacceptable behavior. Christians simply cannot be unforgiving. You simply can't do it. If, if, as the leader of my home, if Paula was holding on to unforgiveness, um, we would have to sit down and say, Paula, this is sin. You can't do this. Now, obviously, we're in the Word together all the time, and Paula's um, eager to forgive people. But this is just one of those things where we decide whether our faith is real or is, whether or not our faith is uh, just something that we sort of put on for other people. But if we belong to Jesus, we have to forgive. There's no way we could explain holding on to unforgiveness to Jesus who died for us when we treated him infinitely worse than anybody has ever treated us. So please do this. Let me suggest one other thing. You go to your pastors at church and you make an appointment for you and your wife to talk to your pastors and get some help. Remember, this is only a work that the Spirit of God can do. You can't force her. You can't be get frustrated with her. Um, you simply point when she's not walking in the Spirit. You've got to, in love, point it out. Remember, you're the leader in the household. Not her. And she can't hold the house hostage with her emotions. So get some help. Go to your pastor's. To everybody in this audience, that's one of the things that church is for, so that you can get help in these difficult situations. And if you will do that, uh, let the Holy Spirit work. But you can't just pretend you two can negotiate it or work it out. It's not going to happen that way. This has to be done. Husbands and wives, be in the Word together and pray together. I promise you, the Spirit will move. He is so faithful. And you said, how can I help my wife? How can you help her? By being in the word with her, by praying with her. If she isn't willing to do it, you let her know that you're going to be there every morning at a certain time. 
and you're going to be reading the word and you're going to be praying and she has an open invitation to come. And then you pray for her. Let God move on her heart. You can't fix her. He can. I hope that makes sense. This next question is even more difficult. Uh, married, married question. Marriage question. Also anonymous. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Pastor Ron. My wife and I just got married, and there are some things we are dealing with. She's making decisions that contradict God's word, such as her dealing with insecurities and anger. We never received biblical counseling, and that's before the wed, before the marriage, I'm sure. And then he says, I asked my wife to do it, but she continues to refuse. I'm thinking about going by myself. What do you think I should do? How can I help her? Two things. Yes, you should go by yourself. Go to counseling, sit down with your pastors, and talk to them about this. And and enlist others to be praying for your wife as well. Now, let her know that's what you're going to do. You don't want to just surprise her with that, but just tell her, if you won't go to counseling with me, I'm going by myself. Our marriage means more to me than evidently it does to you, and I want to do better than we're doing. Now, this is especially important because you say you and your wife just got married. Um, you, you don't give me an idea how what your age is or, or uh, if you've been married before, what other issues there are. That's one of the reasons that pre-marriage counseling is so important. Uh, if I'm doing pre-marriage counseling, then dealing with sin, uh, with, with sin uh, insecurities and anger, things like that, um, that that's going to that's going to be dealt with, and those those issues always come up in counseling. So um, I, you know you got to be really direct. Why did we get married? Did we get married so that we could have these issues? Or did we get married to honor Jesus? These are discussions that husbands and wives have to have. I think Paul and I mentioned it yesterday on the program, but I'm just shocked that husbands and wives can't talk about these things. If I just got married and and the, 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 the there was difficulty in the marriage, you know, right away, um, those things, we wouldn't be dealing with them. We would deal with them. I hope that makes sense. Um, when she makes a decision that contradicts God's word, that's when you've got to sit down and find out who you really are. Are you really a believer? The Bible says we've got to do this. And your insecurities and your anger, only God can heal, heal those things. So yes, you should go to counseling by yourself uh, if she won't do it. Let her know that you're doing it and let her know that you're going to be very candid about what the issues are because you really value her and the marriage enough to make sure that it honors the Lord. And then, of course, and then this is not an afterthought, it's just I'm mentioning it last, pray for her. Pray for her. Don't let your heart get hard. Don't you get frustrated or impatient. Pray for her and then walk in the Spirit. Be with Jesus and let her see that being with Jesus has a benefit. So love your wife, serve her. But remember, you're also the head of the household. And I don't think I would ask my wife to go to counseling. I would tell her we're going. And um, if she said, well, I don't want to go, well, well, why don't you want to honor the Lord? We've got a, a brand new marriage, and we're not honoring God in it. She needs to know how important this is to you because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. So please, please, please do what you can to get her into counseling. If she doesn't want to go, you go. And you let her see the fruit that comes from your counseling. And then the Holy Spirit will do the work. Remember, don't nag. Just let her know. Now, I said a moment ago, this is another one where it is obvious to me. And if, if you were in my office right now and, and I had you and your wife together, the first thing I would say is you guys aren't reading together in the Word, are you? You guys aren't praying together, are you? you got to do those things. you got to do those things. So Anonymous, that's the best I can do with that. I 
Pray that things get better. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. We'd love to close the week with your questions, with your phone calls. Nick says, is repentance required for salvation, and does that mean we're saved by works and faith? Uh, Nick, repentance isn't a work at all. Uh, Repentance is a change of heart, a change of direction in life. Uh, When we meet Jesus, now salvation is a gift. We're saved by grace through faith, and that the faith, not of ourselves, even that is a gift of God. So we do nothing except receive the gift. That's not a work either. So repentance isn't required for salvation. Repentance is what happens when we meet Jesus. Now remember, Jesus is the one who forgives our sins. It was his blood. And when you meet Jesus, and I tell our people this all the time, when you meet Jesus, you change. He doesn't change. You change. And that means you are going one direction. You meet Jesus, and together, you and him, you turn around and go in the opposite direction. The Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus was a perfect example. Uh, when Jesus apprehended him on the road to Damascus, he was going 100 miles an hour persecuting Christians, trying to put them in jail or in prison. And um, um, Jesus met him, picked him up, turned him around, his feet never stopped moving, and, and he was going the other way. And he became the greatest evangelist in the world. So uh, that's what repentance is. Um, Nick... When you meet Jesus, you can come the way you are. But we have to remember we come on his terms and not our terms. And we come to him and he's the one who cleanses us. He's the one who delivers his Holy Spirit to us. That means the power, the access to heaven and the power to live here on earth in a way that honors him. So if someone claims to have met Jesus and they haven't repented of their sin, if they're not living a life that's different from the life before they claim to have met Jesus, they really haven't met him at all. It's one of the problems. Jesus is the most famous person that's ever lived on the face of the earth and everybody knows about him. So you ask somebody a question, do you know Jesus? Well, they know about him, but many don't know him personally. So Nick, when you meet Jesus, you will repent. And he creates the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, just as he was getting ready to be crucified, he said to his disciples, he said, it's good for you that I go away. Because if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. And the way he said it, I'll send another me, in Greek, and he will be in you, the Holy Spirit, and he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. So what happens, Nick, even to be able to repent, it's the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying, you know, you shouldn't do that. It might be something you've done a million times before, but all of a sudden you've got a pang of conscience and you know it's wrong. That's the Holy Spirit. And then he convinces you that you're a sinner and then he points to Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's whole work, to point to Jesus of righteousness, righteousness available through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that if you don't turn to Jesus, the Holy Spirit then convinces you that judgment is in your future. That's what repentance is all about. So yes, repentance can never be ignored. Repentance always, always, always is a fruit, an indication that somebody has met Jesus. Unfortunately, and I think we're inside a couple of minutes here, getting ready to come a couple of minutes, so I'll stay on this question until we get back from the other side of the break. Um, we've got way too many Christians, Nick, in this world who claim to be saved, who claim to have met Jesus, um, but they haven't changed. Their life is basically the same. You know, they're just doing their thing and they think it's okay, but the reality is if you meet Jesus, you can't be like that. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And when you meet Jesus, it's a relationship that's beginning. It's a love relationship. And if you love him, you're going to want to do what he says. The man or the woman who says, well, I got saved, I grew up in church, I was baptized, 
uh, but they're living in willful sin or they, they haven't changed their ways. They're the same um, ugly, angry people that they were before they claimed to have met Jesus. Those are people who are kidding themselves. I often call that a false eternal life insurance policy that's never going to get cashed. Jesus said of people like that, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you to do? So we've got to be accountable to live a life commensurate with the proclamation of our lips. So, yes, repentance happens to everyone who really and truly meets Jesus. Uh, Unfortunately, as the parable of the sower indicates, there's a whole bunch of people who think they've met Jesus, who had an emotional experience in church, but they never really surrendered their heart to him. They never really looked into those um, holy, holy eyes. Blazing fire. Nick, I hope that helps. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in our week, and we would love some phone calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to the Friday edition of The Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the final half hour of the week. I'm just laughing. I just said something funny and I'm not usually funny. 340-9585. Here is an anonymous question. Um, Pastor Ron, what does God is love mean practically for my everyday life? What a wonderful question. God is love. It means that everything he has for you, every thought he has toward you, every gift he gives you, and every assignment that he assigns is motivated by his love for you. It means he only and always wants the best for you. It means that you can trust him, even when things aren't going the way you hoped they would, or maybe you're not getting the things that you think you need. Uh, It means that he loves you. He loves you when you didn't love him. And now that you're his, it means he's able to love you the way he really wants you to be loved. And what it ought to produce is a sense of security, a sense of peace, a sense of safety. Um, You know, in the Song of Solomon, my lover is, I am his and he is mine. And that's God. God is love. It means you never have to question what he tells you. You never have to wonder if his motives toward you are good. It means if something bad happens, you'll never be angry at God and say, why did God do this to me? God is love means that every fiber of his being, his infinite being, is motivated by love in the way he deals with you. And for me personally, that changed my life. Now, I didn't have a bad childhood. My dad was rough. He was tough. But I never had that security of of knowing I was loved. I, I always had to measure up. And I never quite felt like I did. When I met Jesus in 1991, I've never had that feeling since. I don't have to prove myself to God. I don't have to do things to make him love me more because he already loves me infinitely so. And so for me, it is just the single greatest source of peace and security possible because I know I'm loved. And I think that's what it means, and I pray that you understand that. For everybody who really doesn't get that, I'm going to say it again. Read the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, depending on which translation you're using. 
and read just the parts that are titled lover. That's Jesus speaking to you. That's Jesus speaking to you. So please, 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 let him wash over you with his love. It will change your life. Here is a question from Jason. My new church has decided to have vaccinated and unvaccinated services. This makes me angry. Should I leave my church over this? It's so divisive. Um, Jason, uh, um, I can't imagine doing this. I was approached when, when uh, the very first time in 2020 when the pandemic came out. Um, when when masks in Texas, we masked up in Texas until uh, our governor said that masks were no longer required in indoor services. And then I give people the freedom to make their own choice. And I was asked by a few people, well, well, would you have, we had three services, we have three services, would you have a, a mask service, one service only for masked people, and then one service only for um, um, people that don't want to wear masks, and then the other one can be sort of a mix? And my answer was, no, I would never divide the church like that. This is such a hot-button issue that I absolutely can't believe a pastor of God's people would segregate his people, the people that Jesus told him to love, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, um, feed my sheep. I, I just, it's, it's impossible for me to, to grasp the motivation behind this. Uh, I understand uh, the fear that people have, uh, but this would make me angry as well. And, and, you know, it's hard for me to put myself in your shoes, Jason, but, but um this is whether or not to leave your church is something that you really and truly need to pray over. If God led you there, God knew this was going to happen. Maybe you can respectfully and humbly um, go talk to the the pastor and ask him why he would do this. Why would he set vaccinated and unvaccinated apart? Why would we treat? Um, half of our body or a third of our body like they were second-class citizens. Why would we do that when we're to dwell together in love and in unity? So I can't tell you whether you should leave your church or not, but this is something that would be very, very difficult for me to deal with. So I hope that makes sense to you. Here is a question from Scott from our mobile app. What does delight in the Lord really mean, and how do we apply that in a practical way? Sometimes I'm not happy with being where I am or what I'm doing. I want to read myself of such thoughts and feelings. Thank you. Scott, you know, I'll take the second part of this first. You can't rid yourself of thoughts and feelings. They, they come from outside sources. Um, ugly thoughts, anger, um, holding grudges, uh, those kind of things come from an outside source, the devil. Now, our flesh likes them. And that's why we dwell on them. But but instead of ridding yourself of such thoughts, take those thoughts captive. Recognize the source of those thoughts and just simply say, Jesus, I'm not going to give in to those thoughts. By the power of your spirit, I'm going to dwell on other things. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 things. I'm going to dwell on those things. I want to be with you. And if I dwell on those ugly thoughts or feelings, then I'm not going to be with Jesus. I'm going to be hanging out with myself. And the enemy's always going to be there. So um, just just understand, you, you, you bear no responsibility for the thoughts. It's what you do with the thoughts and feelings. If somebody makes you angry, you can choose not to sin. Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Um, you know, There's righteous anger. There's times when we're supposed to be angry. But we're never to sin in our anger. So rid yourselves of all such things as these, rage and malice and anger and unforgiveness and the other things Paul talks about in in several of his epistles. So um, just recognize when you're having those ugly thoughts, those ugly feelings, then what you're going to do, Scott, is simply recognize that's not from the Spirit of God. I don't want to deal with anything that would that, that would cut off my access to Jesus. So I'm just going to die to those feelings. I'm going to take those thoughts captive and I'm going to make them obedient to Christ. Now, 
the best way to do that, Scott, and you hit on it in the first part of your question, delighting in the Lord. Not delighting in your performance, but delighting in Him. David says if you delight, the, the payoff here is amazing. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And what that means, as practically as I can say it, is that when you delight in Him, when all you want to do is be with Him, you want to get closer to Him, and you want to be more like Him, and you want to love Him more, that's delighting in the Lord. When you do that, then He's going to put the desires He has for you in your heart, and the things that you will then be praying for are the very things that He's asked you to pray for. You know, I I ask for a lot of things, but then I say, Lord, not my will, but Thy will be done. And um, if I wasn't delighting in the Lord, if I was delighting in me or in circumstances, then I wouldn't be able to do that. I'd want what I want. But I've learned that God loves me so much that He won't give me anything that is going to get in between Him and me And so that's why I can say with confidence, thy will, not my will, be done. And and delighting in Jesus, if you just hang out with him, Scott, you're going to find out what delighting really means and the value it has. And that's just be with Jesus. Enjoy his company. Talk to him all day long, every day. I have a constant conversation going with the Lord, regardless of what I'm doing. And that's just delighting. And you know what I find? And this is going to sound, I I hope this doesn't sound arrogant. But when I delight in him, those are the times when I realize how much he delights in me. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not a delightful guy. (laughs) I'm really not. But when I'm hanging out with him, it's like he's so thrilled that I'm taking the time so thrilled just to be in, in with me, hanging out. That I want to talk to him, that I want to hear from him. Then pretty much a love affair. We delight in each other. And uh, when I'm delighting with the Lord and in the Lord, uh, if I have an angry thought or if, if, uh, if, if uh, the, the enemy brings an old grudge up or something, uh, then I want to dispose of that thought or that feeling as quickly as I can because I don't want my time with Jesus to be interrupted by anything. Scott, those are the things that really enhance our walk with Jesus. Delight yourself in the Lord. The, the results are just beyond fabulous. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Jacob. He says, when I hang out after work with friends who use foul language and drink, should I say anything to them? Yeah, Jason, or Jacob, I'm sorry, Jason was the last question. Here's what you do. You say goodbye. Here's another good word. No. When they ask you to hang out after work with them and they're going to drink and you know they're going to use foul language, you say, no, I got better things to do. Well, what are you going to do? You know what? I'm going to go home and I'm going to spend some time with the Lord or I'm going to spend some time with my family. We're getting ready for church tonight, whatever it is. But what what an opportunity to witness. So, yeah, just don't put yourself in that position. Uh, Paul says, writing to the, the, the Hebrews, he says, Throw off everything that entangles and the sin. I'm sorry. Throw everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And old friends who are hanging out, being carnal, um, they're hindering your walk with Jesus. So be bold with your faith. Don't be embarrassed by saying, you know what, you guys want to go out and drink. I, 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 I don't want to do that anymore. I can't take Jesus into that bar. I don't want Jesus to hear you You take his name in vain or hear you use the words that you use. So I'm going to go hang out with Jesus. I'll see you guys tomorrow. And by the way, I'll be praying for you. I don't know why that's hard, Jacob. So don't hang out with them. Take a stand for Jesus and let those co-workers know how much he means to you. 
you know, Jacob, when I was there, I have anybody on the on the line, so I'm not in getting anybody making anybody wait. Uh, when I got saved, um, I, I gambled uh, a lot. I mean, a lot, lot. And uh, I would play poker games. Um, um, I'd go to the racetrack. And when I got saved, I didn't just stop doing that. I mean, that was what I did. And um, I, I remember um, one day, just in fact, I can tell you exactly where I was, at San Diego Racetrack, the same TV I watched the, the races on with a hot dog in my hand. And and it just dawned on me, and I, I said it out loud, just nobody around, just me. I said, this isn't fun. This isn't fun. And I got in the car and left. Now, that was, uh, I never left early, but I did. A couple weeks later, I was playing in a poker game with men I'd been playing in a pretty high-stakes poker game with for many, many years. And we're sitting there, and, and uh, one guy got really angry and cursed and threw his cards down. And and I just thought, Jesus, you don't want to be here. And that was the last time I had been to a racetrack. That was the last time I sat at a poker table. And I love poker. But I couldn't be there with Jesus, Jacob. I didn't want to be there. So just tell your friends that. Take a stand for Jesus and they'll know just how much your faith, your relationship with Jesus really means to you. Here is a question from Randy. He says, I have a Jehovah's Witness co-worker. I've tried sharing with him, but he isn't interested in hearing. I don't want to offend him, but should I be direct? Yeah, you should be direct. And, and uh, you know, um, Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult. Um, and, and those people are often brainwashed. So if he isn't interested in hearing, all you need to say very directly, but in love, just tell him, look, I want you to know the truth. And if you ever want to hear it, you know where to come. Just tell him. Be that direct. And, um, and you know, pray for him. Let ask the Holy Spirit to open his heart up. But then, Randy... Live your life in such a way that that Jehovah's Witness co-worker can see your joy every day. Don't grumble at work. Don't complain about things. Be a good worker. Um, work the hours you get paid for. Be on time. Uh, have a positive attitude at work. All those things. Because that Jehovah's Witness is going to be looking at you, watching your life. And if you let him watch your life, let him see Jesus. And one day... Because of your prayers, the Holy Spirit may bring him alongside and say, you know what, can we talk? I've never seen a Jehovah's Witness with joy. They're working so hard. They're knocking on doors. They have no assurance of their salvation. So they need to see all those things that they don't have in me and you. So Randy, I hope that makes sense to you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions on this last little bit of time we've got left. Jonathan says, I don't feel like I'm called to be single, but I haven't been able to be in a serious relationship. I'm now in my 50s and fear being alone. Um, Jonathan, it's curious that the way you, you worded your, your question, your statement, really. Um, if you're single... God has called you to be celibate. Um, a man in his 50s, um, there's plenty of Christian women who love God in your age group who would love to be married. Uh, what you ought to be doing is serving in church. You ought to be um, living a life of purity. No messing around with pornography or anything else. How could, how could If you've got issues going on, um, God isn't free to bring you a woman that he cares for, that he loves. So this is one of those things for prayer. You just, Lord, I want to be with somebody. I want to be in a relationship. I believe the desire, I always tell people this, the desire to be married is a desire that God's put in our heart. He said, Jonathan, it's not good for men to be alone. So what I would do if I were you, I'd say, Lord, show me the things that are keeping you from being able to fulfill this desire of my heart. 
I'm not laughing at you, Jonathan. I'm laughing with you. I often tell the Lord, and he knows everything. You know, we, we spend a lot of needless time instructing Jesus. But but I tell him, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm getting old. You know, I don't I don't have that much time left. If you're going to do this, we need to do it now. Well, you're not in my category, but in the same way, Lord, I don't want to waste any time. So show me the things in my heart that are preventing you from being able to bring somebody that you love, someone you care about to me. And then listen. Get in your word and listen for the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you to do this too, Jonathan. Would you read um, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, through the end of the chapter? Read it over and over, six, eight, ten times. Um, and then ask the Lord to begin speaking to your heart. And then take some time to be quiet with the Lord. Go take a walk. Um, just lock yourself in a room, do something. Take some time to really seek the Lord. And I'm confident that he will share his heart with you. He, he, if, if I'm right and he put the desire in your heart to be married, it's a desire he wants to fulfill. So ask him what's wrong. Why aren't you able to fulfill that desire? So I hope that makes sense to you. We'll be praying for you. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Here is an anonymous question from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. Thank you for answering my question. Oh, this is one I already dealt with today. Please keep in mind that we are praying and reading daily. I just think if we can't get our hearts right with Jesus, how can our daily Bible reading and prayers really be effective? Is this possible? Yeah, I, I apologize for jumping to the conclusion that you're, you weren't reading uh, with your wife um, daily. Here's what you do. It's not just uh, an exercise. You know, it's like, it's, it's like physical exercise. You can do it and work hard, or you can just kind of go through the motions. So here's the thing. When you're reading with your wife, and you're praying with your wife every day. When you're reading the Word, the Holy Spirit is going to bring up circumstances. I mean, for example, um, um, you can't read the Gospels uh, and many, most of Paul's epistles and not deal with some of the issues that you were talking about. So if, if, if it's insecurities or anger or unforgiveness, when you come to those passages, that's when you put the Bible in your lap and you say to your wife, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Why are you still having trouble trusting me? If you're insecure, what are you insecure about? I want to, I want to make you feel like the most loved, the most precious, the most beautiful woman on the face of the earth. So what's holding us back? And the conversations that occur when you stop, when the Holy Spirit is ministering to you, remember, it's not just reading the Word. James says, not, don't, don't be hearers only, but be doers of the Word. And those times, Anonymous, are going to be the most precious times of all. Uh, Paul and I, we call those times um, uh, sanctified prayer times. Even though we're not praying, we're just talking. It's, it's like the Holy Spirit is, is opening our hearts to talk about what needs to be talked about. The, the, the word, it's living and active, and its purpose is to change our lives so what we were before we read something, before we were accountable to that, what we read, um, we're, we're not that way anymore. So, for instance, if somebody is holding on to unforgiveness, if somebody's angry, um, we've got to be able to say, okay, since we know we can't do that, we, we can't be pleasing to the Lord, if we do that, um, let's talk about this. Let's, let's re- I, Paul and I, we use words like resolve. Let's resolve the issue. Let's make sure this doesn't ever bother us again. And, and if the enemy brings it back, then at least then we're equipped to deal with the issue. So whatever you do, it's, it's as simple as saying, uh, um, if you're holding on to unforgiveness, that's just one example. I don't think that's an example you used in your in your email earlier. You just say, uh, how can you hold on to unforgiveness when God has forgiven you of so much? 
You see, that's where intimacy comes from. Physical intimacy comes from security. The Song of Songs. Jesus is seen with one hand under her neck, holding her, her, the church, that's you and me, and the other hand around her waist, holding her in that safe and secure place, looking into her eyes and telling her, oh, beautiful you are, my darling. There's no flaw in you. And your wife needs to feel beautiful. And you need, as the leader of the home, you need to deal with whatever the issues are. It's not enough just to read Okay, now we're going to do what it says. And, um, you know, conversations are wonderful. So so uh, just ask her, um, are, are you angry about something? In your, Don't let the sun go down on your anger, the Bible says. So let's deal with this. And I know couples that made a commitment. Sometimes they stay up late at night, but they make a commitment. We're never going to go to bed angry with each other. And then we got to be willing to die to our flesh because actually anger and and uh, uh, even even insecurities in sort of a perverse way feel good to our flesh. We like to indulge. That's why we need to drink from the Word. And so just use that time not just to read but to talk about doing what it is that you're reading. It'll change your life, I promise you. And it won't be you changing. It'll be the Holy Spirit doing the work. Hey, have a wonderful weekend. Go to church this weekend. Find somebody who looks like they need to be loved on. And you be the instrument that God uses. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630 Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.